All right, if you'd like to read along, we'll be uh, in the book of Joshua, last chapter, book of Joshua. Probably a familiar uh, passage at some point when we get to it in that last chapter. Let me set the stage just for a minute. Uh, it's important to know uh, history of the, the Israelites as is accounted and recorded in the Old Testament. And here we remember that uh, Joshua was uh, kind of Moses' understudy, and uh, they'd been together for a long time. And when Moses passed away, he was not allowed to enter the Promised Land, and he could only see it uh, from a mountaintop. And Joshua was put in command and led the Israelites successfully um, into the land of promise, and uh, through God's might was able to uh, overcome many uh, that were there and take possession of it as God had intended. And Joshua kind of uh, helped lead the people during his lifetime. And as he uh, saw the days drawing close, uh, time to, to finish his, his work, and the Lord was going to call him home, he gathered everyone together and began to remind them and to give them a charge. Uh, he didn't tell them anything new. In fact, he repeated many of the things that Moses had done and said a couple of times, uh, but wanted to renew the charge to the Israelites to live according to what God had told them to do. And so we see that, and, and you can pick up on that in the chapter 4 and chapter 23. Um, and we see um, Joshua begin to tell and summarize for the people and then give them command and a charge to follow after the Lord. A couple things I want to point out before we begin reading. Uh, first, if you go to the very first verse in chapter 24, uh, you see here that it says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and presented them to present themselves to the Lord. That place, Shechem, will be important here in just a minute, so I want you to keep that in mind. But I also want you to keep in mind the message we're getting ready to hear is talking very specifically about idol worship. Now, we were blessed in that uh, about a year ago, I guess, we had some folks come uh, from Belize who grew up worshiping idols, like quite literally bowing down before them um, and praying to them. And they were able to tell their beautiful story of how Lord, through uh, mission, missionaries and mission work, was able to save them. We don't hear about that very often in our culture. Uh, we don't think about idol worship as being something that really happens. But I want you, as we read through this, to really broaden your definition of what an idol is. And just in case you need some help with that, I have a definition for you. It says, idolatry takes place every time our trust for our well-being is placed on something that is not the one true God. In the end, idolatry is the ultimate form of unbelief. It mocks God because it imitates the dependence that people should have on him, choosing a powerless placebo for the living God. And so when we talk about idolatry here in a minute, and this is something that Joshua warns them and commands them not to do, it might be easy for us to say, well, I haven't bowed down to an idol recently, and I'd say that's probably true. But have you misplaced trust in God and worship for God in something else? That can be another person. It can be yourself, I think. It can be something that takes the place of God in your life. I'll go so far and 
raise my hand and say it could be my phone. It's a wonderful passage that talks about uh, in the Old Testament that there was a, a city and they had little pocket gods. You have to kind of get the translation right to see that that's what that's talking about. People would kind of hold on to these little tiny gods in their hand. What do, we, what do we do all day but sit here and hold on to this little god we have you know, in front of us? That, anyway, I digress. I want you to think about idols. And I want you to think and broaden your mind beyond just the idea that we're going to you know, bow down and physically worship an idol. Because I think most of us don't have that, that challenge. So we've set the stage here. We see that Joshua has called everyone together in an important place called Shechem. And that he's going to give them a charge. And he's going to tell them how they should live. So we're going to pick up in Joshua chapter 24, with verse 14 through 28. It says, Now therefore fear the Lord... And serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve you the Lord. And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up out of our our fathers, out of the land of this Egypt. For the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight, and prepared us in all the way wherein we went, and among the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God, and he is a jealous God. And he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn And do you hurt and consume you after he hath done you good? And the people again said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua Joshua said unto them, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua write these words on the book of the law of God, and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let, his, let the people depart, every man to his inheritance. So this is an account, again, of the things that Joshua is doing. And 
If if I'd read the full chapter and a little bit before that, you see Joshua reminding the people of all the great things that he's done for them, how he brought them out of slavery, how they crossed uh, the Red Sea, how they drove out all the enemies and all these wonderful things that God had done for them. And he puts them, if you will, into remembrance of what God has done and then charges them saying, what are you going to do? Real quickly, I I told you I want to talk about Shechem for just a minute. This is a Um, an important place for us to remember. A lot has gone on there. It's a place of great history. It's also a place of worship and commitment. So if you go back to Genesis 12, and you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to tell you a couple of examples. Genesis 12, uh, 6 through 7, this is where Abraham, under a tree, which is interesting, uh, received God's promise. Abraham was in the area of Shechem when he received God's promise. We also see in Genesis 33 that Jacob built an altar there. And that's even referred to in this passage as well. So the altar is still there hundreds of years later. Later on in Joshua, we see this is where they buried Joseph. So Joseph is buried in Shechem. Uh, In Deuteronomy uh, 11, we also see a very interesting thing that occurs here. Right before they enter the promised land, there's two uh, mountains, if you will, that that are both in Shechem, Mount Ebal and Mount uh, Gerizim. And Joshua uh, stands before them and says, before you go in, um, and basically right in the valley is the way that they marched into the land to take it. Um, and it, he does an interesting thing, and maybe some other time we'll cover it, but uh, he basically tells them, uh, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I'm setting before you today. And they place a blessing on one mountain and a curse on the other, and they write it down and place it on these mountains. Very interesting, about a year ago, uh, during some excavation, uh, there's some debate about this, but they theoretically found a piece of tin that has a curse written on it in early Hebrew that dates back to about this time. So it's entirely possible that we have now discovered the curse that was placed upon that mountain. But the idea was that there is a right and a wrong way, and you need to be careful to stay on that path before you enter into it. And at some point, uh, Shechem, for a short time, was even uh, the king of uh, the, um, the northern kingdom. When there was a split, it was um, the capital, um, so to speak. So let's again to return to the passage. Now that you have some idea of where this is, because it becomes very important uh, here in a few minutes. So we see that Joshua is telling them, it says, Now, therefore, it says a couple of things. Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And then it says, and put away the gods. And so we are reminded, just as Joshua is telling them today, that when we consider God, we should fear him. Now, this isn't the way we use the word fear very often today. This is a type of reverence. We should be fearful. We should be reverent of God, remembering that God is the one who made everything and could take away everything at any moment in time that he desires. We are absolutely nothing to him. And when we view ourselves in proper context to God, we begin to fear him or have a reverence of him that we should. And so Joshua is reminding them that we are to fear God, but we're also to serve him. And it says here, interestingly enough, to in sincerity and in truth. It's easy sometimes in our lives, especially in our current day, to half-heartedly serve God, isn't it? Or to do it rather flippantly. We come to church because, well, that's just a thing to do. Or for uh, some of you, about three rows back because your parents made you. Or maybe not, but just saying. 
Oh, everybody laughed at you. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Anyway, it's easy to be not sincere, but we need to be sincere. We need to really be sincere about why we're here. Why are we worshiping God? Why are we coming? Now, don't get me wrong. If you're not sincere and why you're here, don't get up and leave yet. But we need to consider these things. How are we sincerely and in truth worshiping and serving God? In truth, that's an important part as well. And that is getting more difficult to find as the days go along either. What is the truth behind this? And then we're reminded to put away our gods, our idols, that those in past generations, in this case, have served. And so we get a couple of important things here from this. Uh, As we continue on, it reads, uh, And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Now I want to pause here for just a minute and kind of explain this a little bit. It says to choose today who you're going to serve. Let me offer something you may or may not have never thought about. You're going to serve something. You are going to serve something. This idea that you can be completely neutral isn't a real thing. You will either serve the Lord or you will serve something that is less than the real God. You will serve an idol. You will serve yourself. You will serve maybe other people, you will serve money, you will let something control you. We are hardwired and designed to worship and we will all find something to worship. And it will either be the true God or it will be something else. And so understand that when you choose, and there's a choice here, when you choose what to worship, you're going to choose to either worship God in sincerity and in truth, or you're going to worship something else. You can't just be passive. You can't just sit around. You can't just pretend like you're not beholden or worshiping something. You will make a choice and you will worship something. This might sound familiar to you. About 500 years after this, thereabouts, I had a hard time doing the math. Uh, Because it wasn't real clear. But Elijah says to them, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. You could probably quote that, couldn't you? You know the rest of that? And the people did not answer a word. See, Elijah was pointing out hundreds of years later, are you going to follow Baal? False God, do that. If you're going to follow God, do that. And everyone stood there and went. And to do nothing is to make a decision. I think that's very important for us to remember. We like to pretend like, well, it's okay. I'm not really worshiping God, but I'm not not worshiping God. So that's okay. It's not okay. You're either worshiping God or you're not. We have a choice to do that. We have a choice to worship God. So Joshua makes a declaration that's very important. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Many of us may have that hung up at your house somewhere. Many of us may be able to uh, cite that. Many of us have heard that, maybe not realizing it's even scripture, but in fact it is. So Joshua makes this proclamation, this uh, declaration. I want to point out a few things here. First of all, he says, as for me. Joshua is a leader. We could study Joshua and talk about how he led the people. But Joshua is a leader in the sense that he is saying, look, regardless of what anyone else says or does, regardless of what my family does, I, first of all, me, I am going to serve the Lord. 
I am not going to engage in idolatry. I am not going to have to choose between one false god and another false god. No, I am going to serve the Lord. And this is important because if you think about it, at this time, Joshua could have done almost anything that he wanted to probably. Very powerful, very highly respected, an expert military man, a man after God, but he could have set himself up as king. said, no, no, follow me, worship me. But no, he chose instead to make himself a servant and to worship and follow after the one true God. And so he, by example, is telling the people, I stand before you today and I hold myself to this, that no matter what, I will serve the Lord. But he goes beyond that, too, because it says, in addition to me and my house. Now, what does this mean? What is he talking about is very likely those whom he has some type of control and authority over. Basically saying for those, my wife, my children, my servants, those who work inside of my home, we are going to live our lives in the fear and service and sincerity and truth of the one true God. And he is setting not only himself apart, but he is saying my family is going to do this and I'm not going to make my family do something that I'm not doing. I'm going to lead them by example. So he does not make exceptions for his family, like lots of people like to do, but he says, no, we are all going to serve the Lord. And so he gives them a beautiful example of how we should live, and we should all be able to say the same thing. This is especially important, especially important for the men, that you set the example and that you require that those whom you have control over would follow after the Lord. We've had too many generations where that hasn't worked out very well. And that's a serious problem. And then we see the reply that the people make. And I want to point this out because this will be a little bit different, this first reply, than later. They begin and they say, And the people answered and said, God forbid that we would forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And then they go on for a few verses, reminding themselves of the things that God has done for them. But I think there's something important to realize that just to say God forbid is not the same as saying I will do. A lot of us say God forbid. A lot of us see horrible things happen to people and say, well, God forbid that would happen. But it doesn't change our actions. You see that slight difference? It's a huge difference in reality. It's very easy for us to be critical of what other people do. It's very easy for us to say, oh, we would never do that. It's entirely different to say we will do this. And so the first response the people give is, oh, we would never do that. God forbid we would ever do that. I don't think Joshua is buying it, though. So in verse 19, he reiterates and said, And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. And this is a very strange thing to say. And the way it's translated here is they say, we would never do something like that. And Joshua says, uh, this is my version. Yeah, you're right. You're not going to. That doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? A couple of really important things here. We could loosely translate this verse and say, you can't serve the Lord except you put away all of your idols. Why? Because God is holy, which means he is set apart, and he's jealous, 
We think of jealousy as a bad thing. But what this is saying is God is jealous. He will not share us with someone else. He will not share us. He's not going to take 50% or 60 or 99% of me and 1% of me that's given to an idol or something else that I love more than him. He will not share. He does not want to share. He is jealous in that way. That is how much God loves you. And that should encourage us to be wholeheartedly devoted after him. He is not going to allow a rival. He is not going to let us follow after something else. And if we do, it will not go well for us. Reminded of Christ when he said, you cannot serve both God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. That's just one example of things that can be idols. A couple of lessons we get out of these few verses real quick I want to cover. First one is you must renounce all competitors with God. Do you have anything that competes with God? Think carefully before you say no. Do you have anything that you put up the same pedestal? Be careful. And trust me, I'm not saying this because I've arrived. The second lesson is you cannot serve God in your own strength. You cannot will your way into service with God. In fact, the only way that you can successfully, as it says here, with fear, sincerity, and in truth, serve God is by putting away the idols, the things that have come before God, and then letting him break you down so that you will actually obey and be obedient and serve him with sincerity. I cannot make myself do this. And all of us can think about times we've tried to make ourselves do anything. Get up at a different time. Eat or don't eat this. Do this type of exercise. Finish this project on time. Fill in the blank. We cannot make ourselves do those things. How can I make myself worship God? I must rely on him. But because he is jealous, because he loves me, he's wanting, he's waiting, he's almost begging for me to give up to him so that he can help me love him. Because he's jealous, he does not allow us to have a split devotion between him and something else. And the last lesson in that verse is, um, he will turn from us if we abandon him long enough. And I wrote down in my notes here that perhaps the greatest thing that could happen is for us to not realize he's left. We think we're good. We think we're doing just fine. We think we're worshiping God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We think we're being sincere when in reality we're not. And we have simply tricked ourselves. It's a very dangerous spot to be. And so after this warning that Joshua gives them, the people then respond a second time. And this time in verse 21, and the people said unto Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Notice the difference here. So the first time they said, God forbid we'd ever do that. And Joshua warns them again saying, look, if you don't really do this right, he's going to leave you. And this time they say, no, no, we will actually serve God. Not just God forbid, I would never do that, but okay, fine. 
we will do this service. It's an entirely different concept, an entirely different change. But they're required to do something first. They're required to put their idols away. Verse 23, Now therefore put away, he said, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. See, he's warning them, look, if you're going to actually do this, you have to get rid of the idols in your life first. You must be willing to give up the thing you love more than him. Or the thing you trust more than him. Or the thing that you enjoy more than him. Are you willing to give it up? In verse 24, And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. And so Joshua made a covenant with them, people that day. And I want to pause there and point something out. The scripture is complete as it needs to be for us to know him, for us to know how we're to live, how to not live. But the scripture doesn't always record every detail. So we don't know, for example, what might have happened between verse 22 and 23. There might be more to this story. I'm not saying there's anything hidden. I'm not saying the Bible is incomplete or in error. But what I'm saying is it is peculiar to me that we don't have any record of people actually giving up their idols. Does that make sense? It could have happened. It's not recorded as such. Well, why do you even think that? Well, there's a lot of important details that go into this. Because if you remembered, I said that they were in this little place called Shechem. And they were specifically underneath this tree. Actually, that's the next to last verse that we read this morning. They're under this tree in this very important place. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 35 for a few minutes. Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35, verse 1, we pick up with Jacob. And God said unto Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when you fled from the face of Esau thy brother. When Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. And let us rise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hands and all of their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under an oak tree that was in Shechem. Is that the same tree that we see here in Shechem? Could be. Seems to be an emphasis on this tree. And so what I'm wanting to point out here is that when Jacob finally turned, when he met God in a real way and was changed from who he was into who he became, when he met God and was changed, God told him to put away the idols, the physical idols that he and his family had. And he not only said, oh yeah, God forbid we'd never do that. And he didn't just say, oh, we will. He did it. 
And he took those idols, those things that were ensnaring him, those things that were dividing his loyalty between the one true God and everything else. He and his family and his household, they gave up their idols and they buried them underneath a tree in this little place we call Shechem. And we fast forward and flip back and hear Joshua maybe on purpose, maybe under the direction of the Lord, took all of Israel right back to that same spot, and they would all know this story. Maybe to the same tree. And said, what are you going to do? you just going to say, oh, we'd never do that. Are you going to commit to worshiping God? Will you physically give up your idols today in the same spot that your ancestor did before? We don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. It doesn't say that they gave him up. It doesn't say that they didn't. I have no idea. But it's an interesting question, isn't it? Did they really give up the idols that were in their hands and in their pockets and in their tents? Or did they just say that they would? There is a difference. I think it's a concerning sign, the fact that we don't record that they gave him up. And it reminds me of some verses in Isaiah that Christ quotes in Matthew. I'll just turn there and read that real quick. Well, I don't have Isaiah marked. It says, They came to you. Um, I'm sorry, they draw, uh, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. See, it's one thing to say you will do something. I'm sorry, it's one thing to say you wouldn't do something. It's an entirely different thing to say that you will do something. And it's an entirely different thing to actually do that thing. You see what I'm saying here? Their hearts are far from me, even though their lips say that they're going to do something. We see that in Ezekiel too. Let me read Ezekiel 33. Starting in verse 30. Also, thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses. And speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. And they came unto thee as the people cometh, and they set before thee as my people. And they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouths they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice, and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do not do them. See, God is telling Ezekiel, all these people come and listen to you. They're even agreeing with you nodding your heads very softly in this church saying amen thinking yeah that preacher's right but the question is are we like the people in Ezekiel's day where we listened but didn't actually do anything said hey that was a good sermon you spoke well whatever but didn't actually do anything so the question today is will you do anything 
Will you give up the idols that as I'm hopefully preaching, God has revealed to your life, this is an area that doesn't belong to me. This is an area that um, isn't under my control. This is an area and a thing that I don't want you to do. This is something that you have above me or before me or beside me. And I will accept no substitutes other than your complete faith. And oh, and by the way, you can't really handle this on your own. Will you actually give it up? Are you actually buried under a tree? You actually turn it off, turn it away? Because it's one thing just to say, oh God, we would never do that. Something else entirely to say, we will worship you. It's an entirely altogether new thing to say, I am doing that. Joshua helped the people. He told them, you're witnessing, you're a witness to yourself. In other words, everyone here can remember this. And then he wrote it in a book. And then he set up a stone, very likely carved something on the stone to help them remember took them to a physical place where they would remember the choice that they had made that day. Have you ever written something down that you would remember it? Ever set yourself up a monument? Not to worship the monument, but to remember something that God did in your life? Do you have a place where the Lord speaks to you and reminds you of the things that you've done? I didn't think about it till just now. But I have a nice little note here that I woke up probably 2013 and scribbled down. It says, I lay here praying and asking for the Lord to reveal His will and direction for my life. I realize that until I obey His first command to love Him the most... He need not bother to share any more of my future direction until I can prove faithful in the first. I don't know that I'm any better at that than I was in 2012. But I have it right here, and I keep it in there for a reason. We need to write these things down. We need to share with each other what the Lord has told us and revealed to us to do. When the Lord tells us to stop doing something or to start doing something, we need to share that with each other, maybe as a whole, maybe individually, to help each other be reminded of what God has told us to do. And so as we come to a close, I ask the very difficult question, what idols do you have? And remember, I'm not talking about physically bowing down to anything. I don't think anybody here has that problem. If you do, you can come talk to me. But we all have idols. We all have things that we're worshiping, things that we hold in higher esteem than what God is, things that we spend all of our time and our effort doing, all of our energy focused on. What needs to be changed? We need to be challenged. We need to be open enough for God to tell us where we're wrong, where we need to improve. We need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. That's what Joshua did. He reminded them of all the things that God had done for him. We need to remove the idols from our lives. 
We need to choose to worship and obey God. Those are different things. Choose to worship, choose to obey, and we need to have a reminder. Whether that's something we mark in our scriptures. I have a reoccurring email that gets sent to me every six months as a reminder of a conversation I had years ago. I keep this note in the back of my scripture. Whatever it is that you need to do to remember what God has done for you, to remember that you must worship him, we must engage in that. And we must choose today who we're going to serve. Because we're serving someone or something every day. Let us not be so foolish to think that we're not. So who today are you serving? Is it the Lord? Or is it something else? And so as we close and we have a song, again, like is common on most Sundays, we have an opportunity for those who have been saved by God's grace, who are on a path to serve Him, who have been saved by Him, let us think to ourselves, what are our idols and are we actually willing to give them up? And for those who've never come to a saving knowledge of Him, then you're certainly not worshiping Him. You're certainly not serving Him and you're certainly not following Him. In fact, you are doing the exact opposite. And we need to be reminded, you need to be reminded, rather, that there is an opportunity for you to choose Him. And if He is leading you, if He is convicting you, if He is showing you how you are separated from Him, then your responsibility is to pray to Him and ask Him for the forgiveness that only He can give. Because you can't do it on your own. Can't be good enough. Can't be nice enough. You have to be dependent on him. And so as we have an offertory, if we have a hymn, a time for us to reflect, let us think on these. And let us choose today who we're going to serve.